During our current sermon series, I've been meaning to ask, we are exploring what Scripture has to say about questions we might ask others in order to move past our assumptions about them. Last week's question, where are you from, reminded us that we often jump to conclusions about how place influences and shapes us and that it's important to stay curious and ask further questions so that we can hear the fullness of someone's story. Today, we reflect on the question, where does it hurt? It's a question we might expect to hear in a doctor's office or maybe the emergency room, not in church, and especially not when speaking to people we may not know very well. But today's scripture suggests that being open to hearing each other's hurt and pain is the very thing followers of Jesus are invited to do for one another, because it's one of the things Jesus does consistently for the people he encounters. We're going to read a story from the Gospel of Mark that's structured in a unique way, so Josh and I are going to read it in two voices. Please join me for a word of prayer. Lord, you have given us your word for a light to shine upon our path. Grant us so to meditate on that word and to follow its teaching that we may find in it the light that shines more and more until the perfect day of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Our scripture reading comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5, beginning at verse 21. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue, a man named Jairus, came in, and when he saw him, fell at his feet and pleaded repeatedly, "'My little daughter is at the point of death.' Come and lay your hand on her so she may be made well and live. So Jesus went with him. And a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from a flow of blood for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all she had. And she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. For she said, if I but touch his cloak, I will be made well. Immediately, her flow of blood stopped and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my cloak? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say, who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him, and told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the synagogue leader's house to say, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, 
Jesus said to the synagogue leader, do not be afraid, only believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the synagogue leader's house, he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he had entered, he said to them, why do you make a commotion and weep? This child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, get up. And immediately the girl stood up and began to walk about. She was 12 years of age. At this, they were overcome with amazement. He strictly ordered them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. To God. In September of 2020, the National Academy of Science published a paper titled Decoding the Mystery of American Pain Reveals a Warning for the Future. The authors had looked at a number of data sets related to pain and then sorted the data by age. They expected to find that for most people, pain increases with age. Not only is this the case in other wealthy countries, it also just makes sense. Think of the accumulated wear and tear of injuries and disease and also just the wear and tear that comes with age. Instead, the authors discovered that in America today, the elderly actually report less pain than those in midlife. This is the mystery referred to in the paper's title, that Americans currently in midlife have more pain than today's elderly. When the researchers sorted the data by year of birth and completion of a bachelor's degree, they found that for those without a college degree, each successive birth cohort reports a higher prevalence of pain at each stage of life. This doesn't hold true in the same way for cohorts with college degrees. In other words, more education correlates with less pain throughout your life. This, the authors claim, fits a general pattern of the challenges of working-class life in America for those born after 1950. This cohort has a measurably higher prevalence of pain. In attempting to tell the stories of some of these people living with pain, reporter Nicholas Kristof notes that the tens of millions of Americans who suffer from chronic pain don't always have an injury or an accident that accounts for it. Instead, their pain is linked to troubled childhoods, loneliness, job insecurity, and a hundred other pressures on working families. The result has been a catastrophic rise in opioid addiction as people try to treat chronic pain with medicine that wasn't suited to that purpose. All this pain is also connected to a devastating rise in what have been called deaths of despair from drugs, alcohol, and suicide. 
Whether our pain is physical or emotional, acute or chronic, apparent or invisible, we all experience pain. We all have places in our bodies or spirits that are tender to the touch, like a bruise, that ache or throb, and that we often assume we just have to learn to live with. Our story from the Gospel of Mark sets up a stark contrast between two kinds of pain and the way Jesus responds to them both. The action begins when Jairus, this respected, well-off member of the community, a leader of the local synagogue, fights his way through a crowd to throw himself at Jesus' feet and beg him to heal his 12-year-old daughter, who's on her deathbed. Jairus' pain at the prospect of losing his daughter is so acute, he defies social convention and dismisses the judgment of his peers by begging Jesus, a troublemaking faith healer, for help. Jesus immediately agrees to go with him and tend to, tend to his daughter. And at this point in the story, the clock starts ticking. The girl is at the point of death. There is not a moment to waste. As readers, our hearts start to beat a little faster as we wonder, will Jesus get to her in time? But as with any great story, obstacles arise, making the rescue of the dying girl look increasingly unlikely. First, there is this huge crowd around Jesus that keeps slowing him down. But there's something else, too, or someone else. This woman who has suffered pain and discomfort for 12 years. And if that number 12 rings a bell, it's because 12 is the age of the girl who is dying. This is not a coincidence. Mark wants us to know that for as long as the girl has been alive, this woman has been in constant pain and discomfort and has also experienced the emotional pain of social isolation because of her condition. But like Jairus, the woman's desperation drives her into the crowd. Having tried everything to cure her pain, she's willing to risk getting just close enough to Jesus to touch his cloak, to see if he might see her, acknowledge her suffering, and offer her the healing she is so desperate for. Do you feel the spark of confusion and ambivalence in your own heart and mind that Mark masterfully ignites by the way he tells this story? We are worried about Jairus' daughter. She's just a child. Her death would be devastating, and Jesus needs to get a move on if he's going to get to her in time. But we also see the misery of the woman. She deserves help too, but she's slowing Jesus down. How can we choose who to root for? Today at our annual meeting, we heard how FPC's leadership is seeking God's guidance and grace to tend to people in our immediate church and in our larger community who are in pain. That is the root of all we do here, from keeping track of our members to stewarding our resources to using our building as a tool for mission. In all of this, we are seeking to respond to God's people with love and compassion and share the good news of great joy. 
that is the gospel. As we do this, one question we have to ask is not whether someone is hurting, but where does it hurt? Some of the answers we know. It hurts where there is grief over the loss of a loved one who has died or who has been irrevocably changed by mental illness or dementia. It hurts where there are broken relationships, marriages on the rocks, children who are struggling, rifts between family members or friends. It hurts where there are financial struggles and the stress of finding work that is both meaningful and provides a living wage. It hurts where there is poverty and violence and the anxiety of never having enough to feel like you're on stable ground. And it hurts where there is physical pain that persists day after day. The reality is all people are hurting somewhere, and it is not always obvious how the church how we as Jesus' disciples can help. But being willing to ask the question, where does it hurt? It's a good place to start. Now that doesn't mean you have to ask that question word for word. I get that doing so might feel a little awkward. But in these two stories that Mark weaves together, we see how Jesus responds to Jairus and the sick woman and the dying and then dead girl. Jesus sees them. He does not avoid them or turn away from their pain. In fact, in the case of the woman, he turns toward her even after she is healed simply by touching him. He accepts them as they are, and when they seek his help, he acknowledges them. And then he stays with them long enough to hear the woman share the whole truth of her story. It is amazing what can happen when we simply acknowledge another person's pain. Susan Stroman is a choreographer who's helped create masterpieces of dance and musical theater. Although her work is often characterized by playfulness and pleasure, she has known great sorrow in her life. She met her first husband late in life and surprised even herself by falling in love. But soon after they married, he was diagnosed with leukemia and died within months. He also worked in the theater, and before his diagnosis, Mel Brooks had signed them both up to work together on his newest show, The Producers. After her husband died, Stroman didn't think she could continue with the project. She was just in too much pain. But Mel Brooks came to her and convinced her to return to the show. He said, Susan, you'll cry in the morning and you'll cry in the night. But when you're with me during the day, you'll laugh, and it will save you. Something happens when we come as we are, with all the mixed-up emotions we might be feeling, pain and sorrow, joy and hope, fear and faith, tears and laughter. 
Together, we experience the presence and the promise of God. Our hurt can fade, if only for a moment. And something moves in us that Jesus calls faith or belief. And it saves us. When Carrie O'Brien was dumped by her boyfriend one day while she was at work in New York City, she went looking for a place where she could eat lunch and also have a good cry. That experience of searching for a place to cry in a city teeming with people inspired her to create a website, the NYC Crying Guide, which tells its readers the best and worst places to cry in the city. The Bank of America ATM vestibule on 59th and 5th, the Grand Central Station escalator, a particular Duane Reed pharmacy in Midtown, all of these come highly recommended. After Carrie started the website, she opened it up to her readers to share their favorite places, and now after, after many years, there are hundreds of spots on the list. When I discovered this site, I eagerly strolled through, scrolled through some of the posts, wondering which of New York City's beautiful old churches would be listed. After all, church sanctuaries are usually quiet and deserted, especially during the week. Surely a few of them would make the list. They are called sanctuaries, after all. But after scrolling through and then using the site's search function, I found not one church on the list. This confirms my fear that most of us have come to see church as the last place we would go to cry. Instead, church is the place we expect ourselves and those around us to have it all together, to look our best and be on our best behavior, to put our hurt someplace far away where no one will have to see it. But true Christian community is one where we do not have to pretend to have it all together where we do not have to leave our most difficult, complicated emotions at the door. Christian community is where we can see one another, including our pain and suffering, and acknowledge with tenderness and compassion that we all have places that hurt, that pain is a shared condition of human life. And as Jesus knew, to do this can actually ease our pain. Back to the bedside of the dying girl. What we were so afraid of has happened. Because of the woman who needed healing, slowing Jesus down, Jairus' daughter has died. There's no point now in Jesus going to her side as Jairus' friends point out, and unlike the hemorrhaging woman, at least Jairus has a faith community to surround him in his grief. But that's not enough for Jesus. Jesus goes to the girl and takes her hand and says to her in Greek, egere, which means rise up. Mark tells us that in Aramaic, the same phrase is talitha kum, literally, arise, little lamb. In other words, Jesus does for this dead girl exactly what God will do for him on Easter 
when in Mark's gospel, the angel uses that same verb, agere, to announce to those who come to Jesus' tomb, he has been raised. Yes, there is pain. There is so much pain. We all hurt somewhere. And it is impossible for us to imagine how we will choose whose pain to address. Thankfully, in God's economy, we don't have to choose. We can acknowledge the pain of whoever is in front of us. We can ask where it hurts and how and why, knowing that God sees and attends to all the pain God goes to all the places where people hurt. God tends to each and every one of us as if it is the most important thing in the world for God to do. And so can we. Amen.